0: What a beautiful reminder of who it is that we are here for today. The one that our hearts adore. Thank you, ladies. Reputations. They, they can really leave their mark. You say one thing and you're known forever by that sentence. Rather than character or personality, think back to high school. Now, I know for me, that wasn't too long ago. For some of you, might, might be a little... little a little longer ago but more than likely there's some people that you think back to high school and you haven't seen them in years and you still think man if I could have dinner with them that'd be great like I'd love to catch up with them and just see what they're doing but I also bet there's one or two people that you remember vividly not liking because of one encounter that if you saw them today in the grocery store You would quickly turn your head and go the other way. You would not invite them to dinner. You could care less about what's going on in their life. Whether you've been out of high school for 10 years or 60 years, you know there was that person in your life that you would just kind of go away from if you saw him today. Today we're going to unpack the story of someone who has just flat out gotten a terrible reputation off of one event. One happening, one statement. Now, to dig into reputations a little bit, it, it's very rare that they actually are true. And so my, my personal example of this was, um, in my high school, we had senior superlatives. So the senior class could vote in different categories, and you could get put in these special slots and put in the yearbook and all that. Well, I got two senior superlatives, and they're rather funny. So the first one was, most likely to win the voice. Now, I went to a small high school and if you've done anything on the worship team, you know singing is really the last thing that I'm eager to do. I'd much rather play an instrument, let somebody who actually sings, sing. Then secondly, I was voted most likely to succeed. And there was a male and a female of each category. But, and the, the most likely to succeed had nothing to do with accomplishing things in life. It had nothing to do with... Uh, having a goal and and achieving it, it was strictly about who was going to make the most money. So I should have got the picture, but the picture of me and the girl that were elected most likely to succeed, it's just us and we're both holding piles of bank cards, just stacks of bank cards, which is really ironic because almost everyone in my senior class knew I was going into ministry, but yet they still thought I was going to make a lot of money. So again... Two reputations I'm not going to live up to, but they're out there. And now when people flip through that high school with their senior yearbook, you know, 40, 50 years from now, they're going to see most likely to succeed. Ryan Watt with my stack of bank cards and most likely to win the voice. And, you know, maybe by then, you know, hopefully I'll still have a voice. But reputations can be very strange. I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 20. In, in verse, we're going to start in verse 19 and go through 31, but we pick off exactly where we left off last week. Mary had been to the tomb and found that the body of Jesus is not there. She's hysterical until encountering who she thought was the gardener. Once the gardener spoke her name, she realized that it was Jesus. She knew his voice when he spoke her name. Mary had gone and told Peter and another disciple that Jesus was not there. They had to see for themselves, so they ran to the tomb to see the grave clothes folded as the sign that it is finished, right? Pastor Gary talked about that last week. So here we go, John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. I invite you to stand with me as we read the word of the Lord today in honor of his word. John 20. In the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked, because of their fear of the Jews. Then Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace to you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But one of the twelve, Thomas, called twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples kept telling them, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. After eight days, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and observe my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be an unbeliever, but a believer. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Those who believe without seeing are blessed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord and we say thanks be to God and you may be seated. So sticking with that theme of high school, again because for me it wasn't so long ago. One of the greatest traditions that my group of friends had in high school was guys' night. This was the night that we would plan to ride to the mall or the movies, grab some dinner, play some video games, chill in Wesley's hot tub, or have a bonfire after a night of youth group worship. But you see, we were good kids. Guys' night was always clean. But it was kind of an exclusive event. You see, there was a stipulation. The stipulation was, you had to be a guy. It was always a safe place where we could talk about girls or faith or family drama or just goof off. This sense of community was really priceless. But you know, the worst thing about guys' night was when you had to miss guys' night. Maybe you decided to be lame and you made plans with a girl. Or your family was on vacation. Missing guys' night was torture. Mainly because between guys' nights the guys would talk about the most recent guys' night. So there was always a funny story or this crazy thing that someone had got the courage to do, and if you missed guys' night, you were out of the loop. With all that this scripture gives us, I want to propose something today. I want to propose that Thomas was not absent for any negative reason the first time that Jesus appeared. Maybe he was in the next town over for his cousin's wedding. Maybe he was just sick and wanted to social distance. We don't know why he wasn't there, but let's give him the benefit of the doubt. So now it's been a few days, and Thomas is overwhelmed by the constant telling of what happened at Guy's night. It's pretty common for stories of Guy's night to be like fishing stories. You know, they get bigger and bigger every time they're told, you know, The guy actually jumped off a little four-foot ledge, but by the time, you know, two weeks have passed, oh, it was a 20-foot building that he jumped off the side of and he barely made it into the fire or whatever. It grows. With that crazy story that he's hearing from guys' nights, he's got to be wondering, how could this be true? Could the guys just be messing with me because I was on a date instead of meeting with them? I hope you hear my intent. I'm not trying to make fun of this text at all. I just want us to remember that these were real people. (laughs) They were living real lives. There were times where 10 or 11 of the 12 were together and one or two weren't there. That's just part of life. Maybe Thomas had the evening shift at the boat dock. We do not know. So today, we're not gonna hold it against him. We're not gonna give him that doubting title. So we fast forward eight days later, and we can only imagine that Thomas was hearing, oh wow, look who decided to show up this time. No one will go out with you tonight, so you decided that you'd spend it with us, huh? No other plans kept you from being here? You see, these are the questions you get bombarded with when you miss Guy's Night at the next Guy's Night. It's just part of being in the crew. But nevertheless, Thomas is there. He's he's with the crew and ready to be back in the loop. He's heard this crazy story of Jesus showing up, even though the doors were locked, and is ready for the next thing that'll happen. Much to his surprise, Jesus does it again. And if we read the text carefully, Thomas does not need to actually touch him, but he believes. That settled it. It was no longer just a story that he had heard. It was an experience that he could never forget. So I want us to back up here and consider a few things. If you were in Thomas's shoes, you probably would have doubted too, wouldn't you? I mean, it's just a hard story to believe. Once Thomas sees Jesus, he believes right away, instantly. doesn't have to touch him. So can we please cut Thomas some slack and remove that label from the beginning of his name? Can doubting Thomas just go back to being Thomas, please? I think I feel this way because we can all relate to Thomas. If we were in his shoes, we would feel the same way. So now that we've cleared up this whole doubting Thomas thing, let's discuss some of these miracles because there are several here, which I think is kind of sad. We always hear this story read and then we learn about doubting Thomas. And we miss all that God is doing here. So in the first appearance, we have four miracles Jesus appears in a locked room. Obviously impossible. Two, Jesus has holes in him. Uh, If you haven't noticed, when we have holes in us, we hope that they're very temporary and they heal quickly. Three, Jesus gives the Holy Spirit to the disciples. Big deal, right? We just read over that and think, wow, Thomas is a doubter. They received the Holy Spirit, uh, and we call that Pentecost, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But a miracle all in itself And number four, the disciples can forgive sin. What? That's what God does. Again, but we just skip over this. Then at the next meeting, there's three other miracles. Number one, Jesus appears in a locked room again. He does it again. Number two, eight days later, and Jesus is still broken open. There's still a hole in his side, holes in his hands. And number three, The miracle that we can so easily miss. God allowed for the scars of resurrection to be seen. Most texts in the Gospels tell us a story of one miracle, right? Jesus fed the 5,000. Or Jesus healed the blind man. Or Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But here we have seven. Seven miracles in these few verses. And again, all we ever hear about is how good old Doubting Thomas came around to believe. That stubborn guy, how sad. Seven miracles, and we want to focus on that one guy that had one busy night and missed a meeting. So let's look at these miracles that truly are good news for us today because we need good news. These miracles really teach us about the character of God in Christ. Jesus appears in a locked room, not once, but twice. Well, any good magician can perform the same trick more than once, right? I mean, that's part of being a good magician. But we fall into a scary trap. We really do if we even slightly see Jesus as this magical man that had powers that nobody else did. We have to remember that everything that Jesus does is revealing to us who God is. So I want you to flip back your Bible in in your head a few pages and go back to John 1. And if we were to read through John 1, we would learn that in the beginning there was God... There was the word, and the word became flesh in Jesus and dwelt among us. The word, the the divine nature of God became human so that we could know God better. God became man and dwelt among us as one of us. And every time that man, Jesus, does something, we are learning more about God. We're not trying to force what we think about God on Jesus, but rather we're letting Jesus explain to us who God is. So what in the world do these seven miracle, miracles reveal to us about God? And how does this guy who got a bad reputation help us go into the second week of April in 2021? Well, church, there's a lot that can be said about God here. You see, I'm thankful today that I serve a God that entered the locked door of my heart not once, not twice, but daily until I looked at him and I gave him that key. You see, we call that prevenient grace. And I know the last three times I've preached, I've talked about grace, but that's kind of the point, right? That's what this whole thing is about. It's all about grace. Jesus didn't have to knock. He just appeared. While I would love for him to appear with a million dollars or appear with a clean bill of health, or appear with situations that I would want for myself, that's not how Jesus appears. He appears to the disciples how he was. He was broken, he was scarred, and he was holy. And he offers us a chance to place our hands in his side. But we recognize that he is there, We don't have to put our hands in. When we see him and know him, we proclaim my Lord and my God. You see, if Jesus had appeared flawless and unblemished, then the crucifixion would have not changed a thing. It simply would have been a short-term death to a guy who could heal from it all. But instead, we got a resurrected Jesus who's affected by that which he has endured. Those scars and open wounds are what invites us into his life. Last week, Pastor Gary mentioned that very briefly. You know, the two sacraments that we practice in the church of the Nazarene are baptism and communion. Well, the two things that flowed out of Jesus' side when he was pierced on the cross were blood and water. And through the sacraments, we participate with blood and with water to enter in to the life of Jesus. So many are crying out today for God to bring wealth, Then they'll believe. Or crying out for God to prove God's self in some way. Or maybe many are still frustrated at God for the way things turned out and so they'll only accept a God who allows things to work out how they want it. That's called prosperity gospel. In church, that ain't Jesus. Those searching for these things find a man inside of the locked room of their hearts who's broken open for their sake but they've yet to believe because that's not the God that they're looking for. They might have looked him in the eyes, but he's not the God they wanted. So they just ask him to leave. Thankfully, prevenient grace does not stop. That the overwhelming grace of God continues after us. The God that is pursuing does not give up after two tries. You see, I like to think that if Thomas had not believed, Jesus could have done it again. And he could have done it again. And he could have done it again. Because he's never going to give up on pursuing us. This resurre- resurrected Messiah continues on until there's a point where we realize that what we need is nothing like we ever imagined. We wanted a king with a crown, we wanted a king who was dominant. We wanted a Lord who sent our enemies to the grave. But before us today is Jesus the Christ, who has holes in his head from a crown of thorns, who was overruled by Roman authority, flogged and crucified, and entered into the very grave that we were digging for our enemies. And it's no wonder that Thomas needed to see it. It's not quite what we thought we needed, it's not quite what he thought he needed. But when given an opportunity to accept the Jesus that was before him, all he could say was, "My Lord and my God." Church, as we dive into this next church year, there will be crossroads where we have to decide: What God are we pursuing? Are we pursuing the resurrected Messiah who is constantly pursuing us through this act of prevenient grace in our own lives? And as together, as a church, we'll have to keep focused on the true Messiah because there are a lot of attractive, temporary alternatives out there who will give us what we ask for and have no idea what we actually need. Today, may we reflect on what Savior has the key to our heart and to our lives, that wonderful, merciful Savior that stands before us today, broken open. That's where our hope is. That's where our trust is. Our hope is not in our spouse, our kids. It's not in a government who thinks they know what we need. But it's in a resurrected Messiah. You know, so easily we, we celebrate last week that Jesus is alive and we move on. But actually in the calendar of the church here. This is actually the second Sunday of Easter. Easter is a season. So today we continue to pursue and look at this Jesus who was resurrected. Today we may reflect on what Savior has the key to our hearts and lives. Have we given it to the one who never needed a key in the first place? Or have we settled and given it to the one who looked nice and knocked so hard that we would just thought it would be better for them to have a key. You know what I'm talking about. Those things in the world that just pounded our hearts, those things that eventually we just cave and give them the key and say, come on in, just come on. But the Jesus that that is offered to us today doesn't need a key. He'll enter in and he'll never force himself upon us. We'll never be forced. But he offers grace to us and when he walks in the room, he looks us in the eyes and he says, peace to you. Peace to you, church, because Jesus is alive. That the Jesus that we serve is resurrected. Karen, would you come this morning? You know, as Gary mentioned I think he said this, but we talked about it right before service. This is normally the least attended Sunday of the whole year because everybody goes to church on Easter, and then the week after is the week to take a break. To, to you know, I, you know, we yeah, we were we were in church last week. Two weeks in a row might be crazy. So I invite you today. I I don't want you to miss out on the resurrected Messiah. That's not on that cross. That's not in that grave, but that stands before you today with the blood and water pouring out of his side, offering grace and peace to you in your life. And I know a lot of you sit here saying, Ryan, look around. We all accepted Jesus a long time ago. You did. But have you forgotten the Jesus that you allowed in? Have you begun to turn him into a provider that just gives what you want rather than what we need? So today I just wanna point us back to that Jesus just for this moment. As we sing together, I invite you to reflect, to respond, whether that be to write something, to come to these altars, to raise your hand, to have a moment of silent reflection, whatever it is today, let's respond to a Jesus who doesn't need a key but will never force his way in. Would you sing this with me?